I'm Chris Gardner of the Houston Round Ball Review, speaking with Chris Pesman, Vice President of University of Houston Athletics. Chris, first of all, thank you for taking time to join me. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Chris. Appreciate you having me on. It's uh, fun to finally be able to join you. It's, uh, I've seen these a few times, so I'm excited. Well, uh, let's get right into it. First question, I'm curious, what's your overall assessment of UH Athletics? <laughs> Wow, uh, softballs. No, uh, it's look. We're in, we're an exciting time. Um, it's what we're going through. Frankly, is unprecedented. I mean, for us. I mean, I guess you could talk about the transition when we went from Missouri Valley or whatever we were, independent to the Southwest Conference. But our business was so much different back then. You know, college athletics was an entirely different animal. Um, but you know, we're sitting here today. It, we just had a staff meeting yesterday for our department and we were talking about the transition into the big 12 and we're trying to get everybody, you know, fundamental understanding of budgets and things like that. So they know what they have to work with going into the fall, but we're standing up there and we're just looking back just at the last couple of months since the seasons started this last fall, you know, volleyball makes the sweet 16. We hadn't done that in a long, long time, you know, football, eight wins and a bowl win uh, was, you know, I know it's less than what we all wanted, but it's still in, a, in many respects a successful year. Um, and then transition swimming, winning its seventh conference title. And Coach Jamison is, you know, in my mind, you know, not a rookie head coach, but a second year head coach. You know, she's been a head coach for two years and wins conference championship twice and coach of the year twice is pretty impressive. And we're sitting here with what basketball is doing and then all our other spring sports, you know, is really a time when we tend to kind of flex our muscles. Um, you know, competitively, we're we're in a healthy position. Um, you know, the other stuff that we're dealing with as we prepare for this transition, there are all a lot of work to do. Uh, you know, it's hard to say here today and say we're in good shape because I know we've got a lot to get done. But at the end of the day, this is about our kids. It's about our student athletes, about our programs. And our, our kids are doing a great job in school. They're great socially. And at the same point, we're really successful competitively. So I, I like where we are, but, you know, Chris, frankly, we got a lot of growing up to do. I, I, I use the analogy a lot with my staff, you know, we're pre, you know, preteen pubescence to, you know, we're turning into young adults to hopefully, um, you know, 30 somethings here in the next six months. So there's, there's a lot in front of us, but for all the right reasons, we're really excited. And what's the timetable for beginning construction on the football facility? You know, we just had a meeting this morning on that. And so I probably need to pause because we got another meeting Monday where we're going to start getting into timelines that that projects. The only reason it's I want to, it's a little complicated and I'll give you a little backstory if you don't mind. Sure. You know, when we originally imagined that project, it was prior to the pandemic, like everything was. And then pricing, frankly, went through the roof. The original, you know, $75 million project came in at 155. And so that was, I got that number the Friday before we played rice and to say that, um, that kind of just knocked us off a little bit is, is an understatement. So we pulled back and we've reimagined what that project needs to look like. Some things that we weren't originally going to consider implementing now we are because there's revenue producing components to it. So it's, it's just our timeline a little bit. You know, what I'd say, you know, publicly is that we likely, we were hoping to start as soon as possible, but with what we're trying to do to gain efficiencies with pricing, it's better for us to start at the end of football season. And the other part of that is, is we don't want any disruptions in the stadium mm -hmm. um, during this inaugural season in the Big 12. So we'll start December, but there's nothing. It doesn't really 
delay the project because we still have a lot of design work that we need to get done and a lot of pricing that we think we can take advantage of is, you know, market tends to settle down. So that's a long answer to a short question. Well, starting in December, when the ground is broken, are you still looking at maybe a, a two-year completion yeah. time frame? Yeah, it, what we'll do is you almost look at that project in two phases. You'll have the football operations part of it, and then there's a premium part. And so we'll, we haven't gotten far enough along yet to figure out which one will be. Obviously, I think the football operations center is going to be easier and faster to construct because it's going to go in that parking lot behind the stadium. And then in a sense, that's green space. We know it's underneath it. It's clean of constru- for construction. When we get into the stadium, we're going to have to deconstruct basically that upper deck where the video board is. And I'm not quite sure the constructability of that yet, how we're going to get some of the cranes and things in there. So those are the phasing that we're working through. So it's a little early for me to talk about that, but I'd start, I think in the next 30 days, we'll have a pretty good sense of what that timing is going to look like. And we'll be able to share that with everybody. How is the Houston rise campaign progressing? Uh, very well. Um, John Gladchuk has done an incredible job with that campaign. You know, we're, we're well over, and I've said this for a while, and it's it's nor, it's inching up, but we're well over a third of the way through that, and we've got some seven- and eight-figure gifts out there that hopefully we'll be able to lock down in the next 30 days that we'll be able to announce that are very significant. And so you'll start seeing that continuing to rise, <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> but, um, God, that worked out pretty well. But the other thing that goes with that is as everybody's starting to get excited for next fall, what's coming with football and basketball especially, a lot of those conversations, the close is a lot easier than it was before. You know, it, it's not hard to sell what's going on here at the University of Houston. I'm curious, what are your thoughts on name, image, and likeness, NIL, in, in a sense of can you kind of factor in a, in a budget like for the student athletes for retention purposes, possibly? Yeah, we're. We're not supposed to do that, I don't think. At least we haven't. So I've been following the advice of my compliance staff. You know, there's you have an idea where these kids need to be and 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 what they're looking for, and that's the hard part because these are conversations. You know, we're not supposed to be part of, and that's where this whole thing gets really murky mm-hmm. because you know whether it's third party businesses that are sponsoring these kids or doing nil deals. Um, it, 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 they always look back to the university to be the kind of the guiding influence and the structure for around it. But with the way NIL set up, we're not allowed to be in that space. And so, you know, there's, um, there's some NIL entities that are out there, whether it's, you know, you know, some of them, mm-hmm. I, I got to right. tread lightly about Understood. naming them, but they've been really, really good at shepherding this space. And so they, they are looking ahead at, you know, what's this look like? And it's really important, you know, particularly when you talk about retention, when kids have a choice to leave in basketball and baseball in particular, those are the two sports that come to mind. The kid has a chance to leave early and go to the draft and go to the D league or to a double a program or, you know, into the farm system. Those are, those are pretty clear decision points financially of what that means to that student athlete. And so you kind of know what that bear, that, that bar is that you need to get to to, to give them a choice uh, mm-hmm. or a decision whether they want to stay in school or, or start their pro career. So I'd say we're in pretty good shape. I know that the, the collectives or, you know, those entities have been really well received and they're doing business in a very, um, you know, in a very professional manner and something that we want to be associated with, but I just have to 
tread lightly about how much I talk about sure, those understood. specifically. Understood. And I'm kind of leaning to this next question. Would it take a state law here in Texas for you or any school in Texas to recommend, suggest, or I don't know, back one of those groups to say, hey, we would we working with this group to work with our student athletes. That, is that what it would take? Yeah. Yeah. I think ultimately where this goes, Chris, just looking at the tea leaves and, and it's not going to be this year, but it's, this is going to have to be addressed at the, at the national level within the NCAA where the, the collect, the, the collective, I don't even, the NIL entity mm-hmm. lives within athletics. It should live there because that way we've got our arms around it. We can ensure that what's happening is above board. Uh, you know, I'm not throwing darts at anybody or casting aspersions, but we all know that that's not happening. And mm-hmm. so we have to figure out a way to bring it back in house. And then what you're dealing with is you're dealing with sponsors and donors and businesses that want to do business with you. And you can naturally link the student athlete with those businesses and shepherd and control control's not right, but help them navigate that process mm-hmm. and deliver something that everybody's comfortable with. Part of the residency with, with companies with jumping into that space is, you know, you get some collective out, not with us, but others that call and say, Hey, we're representing this kid. And then maybe a month later, they get a, a call from a different collective saying they're the same thing. And they're not quite sure who they're supposed to deal with in that space. So we have to, we have to formalize it a lot more than what it's been done. I understand what the NCAA is doing. They're really concerned about the employment status of student athletes if they are ever to turn into employees. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole wrath of issues that go with that pros and cons from everybody's perspective. And so it's long story short is we're going to have to have the state repeal the law that I, they're looking at modifications to it right now um, in the state, but literally we got what's today's Wednesday. Um, we got an email Monday or Tuesday from the NCAA there's a there's another school in the state that came out and talked about integrating the the collective into the athletic department and shepherding those deals through and the NCAA came out and said that is a clear violation okay and so everybody's like well <laughs> that's where we all felt it was going and now they're saying that's a violation so we're we're trying to navigate this and it's you know what i can tell you is it's clear as mud <laughs> how often so far have you met with your big 12 colleagues if at oh. all all the time. Um, we are on, it's not weekly, but at least probably twice a month. Um, we have meetings, standing meetings. Um, and then obviously with the, uh, volatility in the collegiate space right now with potential, you know, realignment, things like that. We have, we have calls all the time and we're, we've been part of those meetings going back, um, late spring last year, uh, in the Fiesta Frolic in, uh, Phoenix, we were in the big 12 meetings, which was, uh, pretty, pretty gratifying, you know, just given the journey we've all been on to be able to kind of walk around the corner and all of a sudden you're in a different room and you're like, oh, you know, it's not any different, but it's just a different group of characters and, and cast of people that are participating. But the big 12 has been great with us integrating us. Our coaches are, have been a part of meetings and you know, it's, it's, it's full speed ahead. I can tell you, Brett has done an incredible job in a very short period of time leading the big 12. You're good at this, Chris, because that's my next question. What are your <laughs> thoughts on uh, commissioner? Of Big Twelve, Brett, your mark. Yeah, Brett is uh, he is a, he is a go getter, man. We had a call uh, last week in the morning. It was like eight o'clock in the morning. You could tell Brett was on like his fourth or fifth cup of coffee. He was he was charged up, ready to go. But you know what's what's great about Brett is the energy and the way he does business is a little opposite 
you know, of the, of the collegiate space, you know, universities and, and presidents tend to move a little bit slower, but Brett's, you know, he's a hard charger, man. And, uh, he's done it. He's moved the needle in a very meaningful way in a very short period of time, obviously with the visibility of the, of the television contract, but he's got a lot of other things that, you know, I can't really get into yet, but some really very meaningful initiatives for the big 12 that are going to be game changers. And while we maybe are working towards catching up to the sec and the big 10, he's going to do some things to close the gap for us financially and bring a lot more visibility to the big 12 as we prepare for that next television negotiation. And really what's crazy, Chris, is we're sitting here and we just did a TV deal, what, three months ago? Mm-hmm. And what you're really doing is you're setting yourself up for that next one in six years in 2030 or 2031. And um, it, he's – I really – I believe in him and I really trust him. And he's, he's doing a great job. And I'm, I can't wait to see what he gets done while he's leading us. How important was it for the four new members to receive a full share in year three? That's pretty fast. Yeah, you know, um, Commissioner Bowlesby, to his credit, he was um, he he put a lot of thought into that because what he's trying to do is give the new institutions a chance to catch up competitively as quick as possible. Because you're only as strong as your strongest as your weakest link, right? Obviously, and in this case, I mean, I, I don't mind telling you this: when I got here, our operating budget was low fifties. We're sitting here today and we're like $79 million and that's five years later. And in two years, or let me step back next year, we'll be, we'll be um, close to $97 million in operating budget. Now with that goes our subsidy and the, and the support that we really, that we receive from the institution. We've got to walk that down pretty quickly, but it's not like the campus is coming in saying you got to make it zero tomorrow. There's a process that we're working on over the first three years of our transition in the big 12 of phasing that in, but we're, we're going to put a real dent in that very quickly. Um, and so, yeah, getting a full share by year three is massive. And the thing that is kind of fun to watch is we're building out our performa is to see the growth in revenues as it's related to attendance. And we're already seeing that um, manifest itself with our season ticket sales, particularly with football um, in the last, now it's two weeks we've sold uh 3,800 new season tickets, which is about 76% of our sales goal for the fall, so much so that we're recalibrating our sales goals, That's which is exceptional news given that we increased pricing um, and you know we're growing into this thing. But to get that response back is we knew it would be there. We believed it would be there, but to see it is, is very gratifying. You're going to know where I'm going with this, but I'm going to sort of phrase it anyway. Okay. How, how important is it from AD perspective to be on linear TV? Um, it's, it's as important as anything we'll do. Obviously we have a, we have visibility on, on the ESPN plus package, but when you, when you get into this and, and, you know, having gone through it now with the American, when we did our new TV deal and then being able to sit in the room while we're doing with the big 12, there's a lot of things that you learn through the process. And this is where Brett was very savvy when he was negotiating our TV deal. He, he locked up those last daytime linear slots with Fox and ESPN. Those, if we had delayed our negotiation, those may not have been available to us. So by jumping the negotiation and getting that done early, we were able to lock those up. And as much as the value of the TV deal is important, the visibility of it is equally important. Because when they start doing metrics and they're saying, okay, you get this level of viewership if you're on um, a linear network, ABC, CBS, or any of those, and then... When you transition over to ESPN, 
it you'll see some degradation, maybe one or two percent. But if you go to one of those other platforms that's further down, you continue to see those viewership numbers get depressed. Well, that hurts you when you turn around and you're saying, okay, hey, I believe Houston's worth X as we're trying to promote ourselves for inclusion in the conference. But all our viewership numbers and our metrics are showing that that level has maybe been pushed down a little bit because we weren't on one of the prime linear platforms. We were on a on a streaming platform. And so as you talk about value of an institution and overall, ultimately, the value of the league as it's negotiating its television rights, that visibility has a lot of weight and equals a lot of money. And so it's as important as anything we do when we talk about linear versus streaming. Two more things. I'll let you go. Just. What are your thoughts on men's basketball and, and what Coach Sanford and the staff have done this season? You know, Chris, I uh, I don't know. It's just remarkable. Um, I got here, it was like uh, five years ago, a month ago. And that was um, my first year was the first year Coach made the tournament. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we were playing at TSU. And, you know, we actually – I really enjoyed the TSU experience. TSU was incredible to us. They, you know, they did a great job. And obviously we were, I think we went undefeated while we were there. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was great. But uh, to see the growth from where we were then to where we are today, and now we're sitting here and, you know, very very highly regarded nationally. And, but that regard, so much of that is reputational because of what coach has done and that program has done over the, you know, the time he's been here. A lot of that, carries over to where we are today because it elevated us to be in a position to be near the top and grow into it even more so. But you sit here and you just, you know, reintegrating Marcus and Tremont and then, you know, seeing Jairus's development and JBAs. And I mean, you just look across the board and each one of those kids has a really special story, but to see how they unify themselves and buy in and through the way coach runs a program, and to see it manifest itself in such an elite way is just, it's, it's incredible. And I get goosebumps talking about it, but then the really cool part is to see, you know, Hey, our bandwagon, our bandwagon is as big as anybody wants to get on it. Right. And to see how many people are jumping on, you know, I live over on the West side of town and most of the people live around me are UT and M and Baylor fans. And to see them, you know, I'm, I'm the guy that wears red all the time. And to see them yell, go Cougs and stuff around the neighborhood is, it's just, I mean, it's a little nicky knack kind of thing, but it's just, that's what he's done is he's, he's created a team that the city's galvanized around. And then the way we play, it's such a Houston style. I mean, tough, every 50-50 ball, every rebound. I mean, those kids are fighting their butts off for it. And our, our city response to that and that's what we've always been we've been a blue collar town we're not dallas i don't want to be dallas we're houston and uh we're going to take it from you and we're going to go fight for it that's what coach does and that's what those kids do and and it's just it's permeating into everything across campus and the community in our department and for that i'm internally grateful and thankful the last question for you chris what would you like to accomplish between now and july 1st when houston officially joins the big 12 Oh man, uh, I got a list here, but it's like a thousand items long. Um, obviously, look, the hard part about talking about the future is we've got our programs that are competing right now, our student athletes are competing right now, and so I kind of try to balance that. I mean, we're we're trying to close out the American 
conference regular season schedule this weekend and then go to the conference and win that next week. So it's hard to think about what those, you know, how to, how to answer some of that stuff. But, you know, we've, what we're focused on right now as much as anything is giving our coaches an understanding of the resources they have and what we have to work with and how we're phasing that in as we learn, as we grow to competing in the big 12, um, preparing for the fall, because, you know, Chris, frankly, we're going to have levels of interest, and and attendance and i use football primarily because let's be honest our attendance has sucked it has been nowhere near where it needs to be and that's my fault you know the back end of the football season was abysmal and there was no energy in that statement that's on me i know that i own it and i will fix it but we're going to go from you know the mci crowd friends and family to hey we're going to sell out tcu and we're going to have 30 plus thousand in there for utsa and we're going to be sold out for texas and you know 32 to 35,000, if not more, for the rest of the season. Our campus has to get ready. These are no longer athletic department's events. These are university events. These are community events. The city has been incredibly receptive to supporting us as we're working to transition in the fall. And that's everything. I mean, think, I'll give you an example, Chris, and this is the level of granularity that we're getting into. When you come to a football game, it's 40,000 people. Well, we haven't really done 40 since Louisville about mm-hmm. four or five years or six or seven years ago. You got Scott Street that has light rail that the train dictates the lights, so we can't overrule the lights. So that is kind of wonky. Cullen's been under construction for three years. Mm -hmm. A year past its deadline. I've been sworn to it'll be done by July. Regardless, it goes down to one lane, so it's a little obstructed. So easily, you can take about 20,000 people and put them on Cullen and put them on Scott Street. That means you're taking 20,000 people and sending them to Spur 5 or sending them up to McGregor. We haven't done that. And I use that as an example of a level of detail that we're getting into of how do we how do we plan for it? How do we message it? How do we execute it? And then and make sure that our guests have the best possible game day experience possible. And that goes into queue lines when you come in, concession stands, all that. And I, I'm using football because that's our biggest area we have to grow in. We've been dealing with capacity crowds in Fertitta Center since we've opened. And now that will only be amplified with a level of of competition that's rolling in there. But I use football as an example because you're going to have to replicate that for everything. I mean, we're going to go from having 500 people at a baseball game to 1,500 people at a baseball game every game. It's awesome. These are all the good things we want. These are all the good things we want to deal with. These are great problems to have. We've got a lot of it. We're going to get some things right right away. Some things are going to take a little bit longer for us to get to, but we know we're not where we need to be and we're working our butts off to get there. Chris Pesman, Vice President, University of Houston Athletics. Thank you for taking time to talk to me and uh, hope you can do it again before the season, before July 1st, really. That'd be great. Anytime, Chris. I, I Honestly, I appreciate you, man. You do a great job and you're always there and you just, you're balanced, you're fair, and you do a great job. So thank you very much. Thank you, Chris. You take care, man. All right, brother. I'll see you. Are you, see you tonight? I'll rock it tonight, tomorrow. I'll be there for sure. Okay, man. Take care. Have a good you one. Too. Thank you. Yes, sir. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.